You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 86 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band 500 Miles to Memphis. Formed in 2003, the boys of 500 Miles to Memphis came together on the banks of the Ohio River between Cincinnati, Ohio and Newport, Kentucky. Their genre-bending take on Americana and punk rock has been received worldwide in the form of movies, TV, video games, and their award-winning live shows. Logging 250 performances a year, these indie road kings have been to hell and back. After taking a short break from touring in 2017, 500 Miles to Memphis have jumped back in the studio to deliver their fifth full-length album, Blessed Be the Damned, via paper and plastic records. For more information on 500 Miles to Memphis, you can check them out at www.500mtm.com. Now here it is, their new single, Hold on tight.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. State is burning, but there's not enough water to reach to it with the fire out. Hey, this is Yotam Ben-Hurin from Useless ID, and you are listening to that one time on tour. What's up, everybody out there in podcast land? This is Chris Swinney. As always, I am your host for that one time on tour. If you are joining me for the first time, this is my podcast where I get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and have an awesome conversation. So thanks for joining us today on the program. It's a good one. It's the last one of 2019, so happy New Year's Eve to everybody. But I got to sit down and have a chat with Yotam Ben-Horan from Useless ID. I love Useless ID. It's pretty cool. They have this kind of history with my old band, the Ataris. Uh, Chris Rowe from the Ataris kind of you know, connected with, with Useless ID and brought them to the attention of Kung Fu Records. They did a split with the Ataris. And then Chris actually produced their record, and we talk a lot about that on the podcast. So Chris Rowe, if you're out there listening, you you get name dropped quite a bit on this episode, so I hope you enjoy it. Chris is actually over in Europe right now, the UK actually right now, and then mainland Europe. Uh, January, February, I think, maybe even into March, he's going to be over there doing an acoustic run. So if you guys are in the UK or anywhere around mainland Europe, check it out. Go to the Atari's Facebook page or the Instagram and see if he's coming to your neck of the woods and go check him out. Go check out my buddy. He is awesome and you guys will not want to miss that because he's doing all the great sing-along classic Atari's stuff. This is the last episode of 2019. So I'm not going to bore you with everything. I will tell you right now, if you want to get involved with the podcast, going over to patreon.com forward slash TOTOT podcast, and you can help us out financially because this thing costs some money to keep going. And I love my patrons. So go on over there and get involved. I'm going to give a shout out to our two Patreon producers, Bob Foster from California and John Exton from the UK. So thank you guys so much for the support. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go down a list of everybody who helped out this year. We have a bunch of bands that sponsored episodes. We have a bunch of companies. And I just want to kind of shed light on all of these amazing people for helping this podcast grow. 2019 was a huge year for us. I think there was only a couple weeks where we didn't chart. 
And it's crazy for me to think way back in April of 2018 when I started this to where we are now. And it makes me very excited for the future. So I'm just going to go through this list. Firstly, I'm just going firstly. <laughs> it's late. As, as you know, this is when I do the podcast. It's like three in the morning. But uh, I'm going to go through all the bands that really made a difference this year for the show. And these are most of them are unsigned bands. Some of them are signed bands, but they sponsored episodes. And when you sponsor an episode, it basically means that you are giving me a fee to sponsor an episode. So then awesome people like you, the listener, can hear these bands and then go check them out and buy their merch and go see them live. And that money then goes back into the podcast. So I might buy some new equipment that I might need to make the quality better. I mean, there's just so many things that cost money when you're doing a podcast, like driving to a show that's two hours away to interview somebody. There's just so many things that, you know, I don't really make money on this show and I don't really care that I do, but if it can be self-sufficient, that's enough. So these people have helped me stay self-sufficient and uh, I really, really appreciate it. So without further ado, I'm going to go through. These are the bands that supported the show this year and I want you guys to go back and listen to these episodes and check these bands out and go stream them and do whatever you can to, to support them. I love every one of these bands. I won't put a band on the show just because they give me a little bit of money to be on the show, you know, to sponsor an episode. I have to like the band. That's the first thing I always tell the bands when they hit me up. They will send me an email at tototpodcast at gmail.com plug. And I'll say, yeah, this is how we do it. But please send me a song first because I, like I said, like I'm not going to let some band that I think sounds like shit be on the show just because they gave me some money. So I do have to approve of the band. And then when I, when I like the band, I'm like, oh yeah, you guys are good. Then we get into the details. So I'm going to go through, these are the bands that made a difference for the show this year. Here we go. Protagonist, love protagonists. They're awesome. They sponsored like three or four episodes, I think. Pushing Veronica, Dropouts, Wanted Noise, Divided Heaven, The Guts, Carusco, or Carusco. I always say it wrong. Sorry, guys. Carusco. Black Cat Manor. Black Cat Manor sponsored like five episodes. So give it up for Black Cat Manor. I love those guys so much. Chemical City Rebels. They sponsored a couple episodes. Love those dudes too from Louisiana. Goners UK, Kowloon Bay. Kowloon Bay, great band from Chicago. Seconds to Say, Squirrel Tap, a little Wyoming punk rock, Squirrel Tap. In Calico, great band from Indianapolis, Jason, the guy that actually was in the Ataris before they moved to Los Angeles, is in that band, In Calico. Job Creators, awesome band from the East Coast. It's kind of like this synth and drummer guy, instrumental kind of craziness. I love it. 8-Bit, Ada Lemon, Neck Scars, Dagger Mouth. Non-starter, long word, talking props, all the way from South America, Santiago, Chile. Catch and release, sales up, we found a map, death trophy, friendly fire, the hollow ends, young howler, chrome lakes, love chrome lakes, state line syndicate, and cherry pop from last week. So all those bands... I mean, you guys really, really helped out the show, and I welcome you back with open arms. Some of you guys have sponsored multiple episodes, and the way that I look at it, I get emails all the time about you guys, and it seems like it's working. 
So if you want to help sponsor a show and you're in one of those bands or you're in a band that's never sponsored an episode, hit me up, TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com or hit me up on the socials at TOTOTpodcast. Now, there are some companies that also help this year be amazing. I got to tell you about Merge 4. They make socks. They're amazing. Check out Merge 4. Permanence Tattoo Gallery. My buddy Jacob Harrison owns the place. It's amazing. Go get tattooed in Anderson, Indiana at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. The Merch Planet, one of the best places in the world if you're a band or a company and you want merchandise. The Merch Planet, check them out. They're amazing. Rockabilia. Rockabilia is a great company. I've actually talked to Frankie. We're going to try to get Rockabilia back on the program. So in the future, you could have a promo code and you could get all your really cool merchandise and everything at Rockabilia. Muncie Music Center, the store that I teach at. I love Muncie Music Center. And uh, we're going to probably get them back on the show as well. But uh, they're a great place. So if you're in central Indiana, go to Muncie Music Center for all of your music needs. Sticker Wolf. We haven't worked with Sticker Wolf for a while, but at the beginning of the year, they were really helping us out. And I love Sticker Wolf. I They did stickers for us, and I've never seen quality stickers quite like the ones I got from Sticker Wolf. So check them out. Your Button Guy made buttons and magnets for the show. If you are a patron, you probably got or will get some from me in the mail at some point. I think there's still a couple people I need to send them to. But uh, thank you, your button guy. I appreciate it. And last but not least, Artist Flags. They are an amazing place. If you need a backdrop or a scrim for your band, go on over and check out Artist Flags. But I just want to say so many people make this show happen. It's not just me speaking into a microphone, you know, being a dumbass. There's a lot of people that really care about the show, and it makes me feel great to know that there's a community of people out there, not just people that help financially, but people like you, you're listening to this. I'm probably boring you already, but this is the the year-end episode. So uh, I'd like to give a shout-out to some other people as well. I'd like to give a shout-out to my beautiful wife, Felicia Swinney. She's my executive producer. She kind of makes things happen. <clears throat> I used to stay up super, super late editing each episode, but I always lay with my son while he's going to sleep. And I would wait till he was asleep, and then I would start editing, and she was like, why don't you just edit while he's in there watching his tablet and you could just kill two birds with one stone. And I just never thought about that, but I did it. And now my life has changed because I get my editing done super early and I can do other cool things. I'm uh, in the process right now of doing some mastering for a couple bands and I am going to be doing some mixing for a couple different podcasts. I actually have this new business that I'm rolling out. It's called Motormouth Digital. Right now, it's going to be kind of like a podcast consulting firm, and I'm going to be helping people with some mixing and editing and just, you know, all around branding and stuff like that. But uh, it could possibly become a little bit more than that. Uh, I'm not really sure what yet, but uh, you can go to Motormouth Digital on Facebook. Uh, I think we have an Instagram as well, but there's nothing on there really yet. It's in the infant stages right now, but it, it could become something cool. I've got a couple podcasts lined up, people here in the United States that I'm going to be working with and uh, kind of helping them helping them get going because nobody really helped me get going. I had really great advice from Dewey over at Pure Pleasure and Shane over at Lead, Lead Singer Syndrome helped me out a little bit. And then uh, Mike Mowry, the guy that runs, kind of owns Jabberjaw, helped me out a lot as well. So uh, I'm going to try to spread, spread the wealth. You know, I'm going to help some people out that I think deserve some help 
because I, podcasting is the greatest thing in the world, man. Like you just get to join this community of people and creators. That's the thing. When I was in a band, I felt like I was always creating. I felt like I was this kind of artistic and I was expressing myself. And then when you aren't in a band anymore, you have to find that outlet. And I didn't know it was going to be podcasting, but it kind of has become podcasting and it makes me very happy. So I just want to thank all the sponsors. I want to thank you, the listener, everybody that left us five-star reviews on Apple and Spotify and Stitcher and everywhere, everybody that subscribed. It means a lot to me that you guys care. This thing has grown exponentially from when I started, and I just hope that it's going to keep going and keep going. So tell a friend, share us on Facebook, put us in your Instagram stories, do whatever you can, tweet about us, whatever you want to do. I would really appreciate it. And once again, thank you so much for the support from the bottom of my heart. I love you. And uh, thanks for going on this, this little ride with me. And hopefully, uh, hopefully it's not over anytime soon. We're getting close to the uh, triple digits. Today is episode number 86. And I'm not going to speak anymore. I'm going to tell you right now. I got to speak with Yotam. And it was really, really cool speaking with him. And the funny thing was like, his friend told him about the show and he listened to a couple episodes, got really excited and then asked me if he could come on like, Oh hell yeah, of course you could come on. Like I love your band. So it's, it's really cool. And we got to talk about a lot of stuff. He originates from Israel, which is a country that I've always, always wanted to go to. Uh, I've got a lot of friends in Israel. I worked with some people from Israel when I was uh, the talent buyer and artist relations guy at the hangout down in Gulf Shores, Alabama, and uh, we talk a lot about Israel and how it is kind of coming from Israel to the U.S., getting some success, kind of sticking around here, and he talks about he was here, and he was from Israel, and he was a dated, dating a girl in Italy, and like all this crazy stuff, so if you like travel stuff, we got you covered on this one, but uh, I'm going to stop rambling. Like I said, you guys are amazing. Thank you for the support. I will talk to you after the chat with Yo Tom. But uh, without further ado, this is it. My conversation with Yotam Ben-Horan from Useless ID. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Yotam from Useless ID. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I'm very excited to have you on the show. I've been a big fan of Useless ID for a while. And uh, a buddy of yours hit me up and said that you would like to maybe possibly be on the show. And then we, we connected. So I'm really excited, man. Yeah, totally. He told me about your podcast and I, I looked it up and I pretty much got all excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, I want to I do one of those. Well, and the, the funny thing is, man, like we have a lot in common. You know, you, you know Chris Rowe from the Ataris. Yeah. You guys did a split with them back in the day. And I was in the Ataris for a while. I never actually got to meet you, but I looked and we've been friends on Facebook for like eight years. Oh, we have. Sure. Yeah. I don't think we've ever <laughs> conversed on there, but uh, yeah, I was kind of searching for your name and it said we were friends and I was like, wow, I, I had no idea why we were friends at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do remember you from like a, a Atari's promo photo from a while back. Yeah. But when, when I saw your podcast, I'm like, oh, I, I remember that guy. Well, that's but, awesome, uh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you originally are from Haifa, Israel, correct? Yeah, I'm originally from Haifa, Israel. I uh, grew up in Israel till the age of five, and then my family relocated to 
New Jersey and from there to New York. So I just had uh, I just had Jose from Make War on the program, and he was born in Miami, but then went back to Venezuela and then came back to Miami. He has d- dual citizenship. Did you get dual citizenship, or are you still Israeli citizen? Well, I, yeah, I'm an Israeli citizen. I had a uh, well, I didn't have a citizenship. I had a green card like many many years ago that just got canceled once once my family moved back to Israel because you know. There was this law that you have to go back and sign it every half a year. Or just show them you're in the states every half a year, and and that that wasn't in the cards for me till a few years later. And so you're you're living out on the west coast now, though, correct? Yeah, yeah. So uh, how long have you been out in California? Uh, roughly around two months. Oh, two months. Were you where were you at before that? Were you on the east coast? I I've just been on the road for like the past four and a half years nonstop, whether it was uh, solo or useless ID or, or uh, having a girlfriend in Italy, you know, I'm just, <laughs> just like traveling the globe nonstop. And, and uh, certain things brought to me just uh, uh, basing myself in, in uh, Sherman Oaks right now. That's awesome, man. And I, I know that uh, I just had Jen pop on from the bomb pops. I know that you worked on their new record. How, how yeah. did that, how did that whole process go? Well, uh, it, it was around last year. Uh, we were I, I was hanging out a lot with Fat Mike. Uh, we were both living uh, with with John Johnny from uh, Old Man Markley, if, if you know him. Yeah, we we were both kind of like uh, shacking up at his place, and just uh, you know how it is, or maybe you don't know how it is with Fat Mike. But when you're around Fat Mike, you talk about ideas constantly. It's like uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's nonstop, nonstop. Like yeah, you know, uh, nonstop thinking and ideas and ideas. And uh, he thought it would be a good uh, pairing to put me together with Bomb Pops for their next record. And I'm like, oh, I, I know those guys, and I like their previous record. And I definitely thought that I, I have what to offer them for a new one, for a new album. And uh, I spoke to Jen, and we were like, oh, yeah, sure, that's a fucking great idea. And we took it from there. How did the the producing actually go? I know she, she told me, because I asked her about it when she was on the program, that yeah. you guys were kind of sending, you know, she would send like a song to you and you would just, it was more about arrangement than anything else. Is that what you thought you kind of lended to the, to the project? Yeah. Yeah. We pretty much started right away. Right. When we spoke about it, like a week later, she sent me like two songs. I listened to them. I, I worked on them as, as much as I worked on, uh, you know, when, when I get a song, I guess, uh, since I've been writing songs for such a long time, my mind produces it in, in such a way of like fit, filter like it goes into this filter and then i hear it a different way and i like put it back out so i I did that with two of their songs i sent it to to her she let neil hear it and they both got very excited about the the outcome and uh, they were like yeah let's 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 do some more songs and let's see how that goes and then it just became like this uh, back and forth back and forth and until uh, until i hit the studio with them you guys were out in denver doing that correct uh yeah, Denver uh with Chris Fogel of Black and Bloom awesome, Studios. Man. Yeah. So, have have you worked with quite a few bands as far as like the producing goes? Yeah, I've actually produced bands since uh I I'd say 2002, but they were mostly Israeli bands and one of them being one of my own side projects. It, it was one of these situations where, you know, I did a few albums with the Useless ID already and I I saw I Chris Rowe produced one record and Tony Sly uh 
helped uh, like uh, co-produced the the next record we did for Kung Fu. So I kind of got the idea of what it is to produce. And then when I did the side project uh, and it, I got the, you know, the, the finished result, I was like, this sounds wrong. I, I think the, you know, the gu- guitars should sound different. Uh, we should add this and we should take that off. And I just started like, just, uh, you know, obsessing about it. Uh, so that, that was like my first attempt. In later years, I produced like, uh, there's this band touring Europe a lot called Not On Tour. So I produced their record a few years ago. But it's been mostly Israeli bands, Israeli punk. So I want to go back pretty far on this podcast. We like to go pretty deep. So, you know, how did the how did you find out that music was like a thing that you wanted to do? What was like your first memory? Maybe that that, because I remember when I was God, I was probably like, you know, nine or 10 years old. And I heard Metallica, my uncle had Metallica record and I heard it and I thought it was my, my little secret, you know what I mean? And like, it just, it changed my entire life was, did you have a moment like that when you were young? I had a few moments like that, actually. Um, I think, you know, it's very cliche and, uh, I'm guessing you have a lot of people on your show saying, well, music was around the house all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, uh, my 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 mother she plays in, on like seven instruments and uh she she used to go to these uh concerts and these the uh, or- orchestras and even when I, I i was still a baby so so i used to get all that input uh from her like this you know if you take babies to like rock shows and even if if, if they're still in the in the in the womb they uh they process uh, certain energy so I think I got that, and by the time I was four, she took me to see Musical Youth, you know, past the Dutchie on the last <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. My kids love that song. We play that in the house yeah, all the time. Yeah, and now they were like, you know, my Jackson 5. <laughs> yeah, awesome, man. Yeah. And uh, so so that that was a, a pretty big moment, but I, I don't think I really uh, got a grip on music till I was in, like, second grade. I had this, like, and this was already in Brooklyn, New York. I had this crazy teacher that he used to bring a parakeet to class and he used to have a radio on the whole time. And he always used to play the same tape of, of the Beatles. And I, I remember Michelle and yesterday on that tape. And, and that's what I that's when I was like, you know, something clicked in me. I'm like, that, that's so, that's so nice, you know? And I was only like six. <laughs> <laughs> so when so, did, when did like an instrument come into play? Did you start on, I know you play bass like mostly in useless ID. Did you start on the bass or did you start with guitar? No, I actually started on drums. Okay. When I, yeah, when my family moved into the first first house in uh, New Jersey, there was a drum kit in the in the closet, and so they just bought my brother a keyboard, and we would just make like noise all the time. I I I didn't really know how to play the drums, but that was like my first instrument, you know, just like banging and banging. And then uh, fast forward to like 1991. Uh, when Nirvana came out, that was my game changer. That was like, oh my god, I want to play this. I want to play a guitar and and be like that guy. <laughs> I think a lot of people had that same epiphany. Yeah, yeah. You know? It was like, yeah, it just hit hit me so hard, and that kind of eventually led into punk rock. Well, yeah, I, I tell you, man, like me saying that Metallica was my light bulb moment when I heard Nirvana, I was like, oh, you don't have to be like a virtuoso on the guitar, and you can still make art. You know? Exactly. Yeah. I think before Nirvana, I heard some Metallica, and I I didn't even play guitar, so I was like, I, I can't do that shit. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna have to take I'm gonna have to take like so many guitar lessons to be able to I don't know even understand that. But 
even like the first guitar lesson I ever took, the guy showed me, the teacher showed me Smells Like Teen Spirit, and by the next week, I had it down. Yeah. So, yeah, you know. I teach guitar for a living now, and I'll tell you, man, that doesn't change. That's still a song that when it, when a kid like is into rock and roll, it seems like they always find that song because it's just got those four power chords, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind. Of, it's like kind of like slowed down punk rock in a way. Yeah, yeah. And I just I always love because I show kids. Uh, I don't know if you remember all of that song, but in the verse where there's just the two notes, it's just the yeah, the, yeah just yeah. the like the the top of an F chord. You can just bar it with two fingers. So easy, so easy, so easy man. <laughs> okay, well, what I would like to know then is, you know, Useless ID. How did that come about? I'm, you know, I don't. Was that your first band that you were in? No. Um, I, I moved to Israel, uh, I think it was right right after eighth grade. I, I finished eighth grade in, in Brooklyn, and uh, my family moved to Israel that summer. And, you know, I was pigeonholed as, like, the outcast kid. I, I was just playing guitar all summer, and I didn't have any friends. And then it was a new school year right away. So I was, like, I don't know, I, I, I was, like, antsy to get a band going. I, I'm, like, I need some kids to play in a band with. And no one wanted to play in a band with me. Everyone wanted a bass player. Like all the kids and and they were playing shitty music anyways. Yeah. But uh but like uh so I so that year didn't go so well. I didn't do that well until and you know, just a, adjusting to a, a new language and and I don't know, their their uh what's it called? The the mathematics was, was harder, yeah. you know. <laughs> they were in Israel they were dealing with like the harder shit than I was used to. Did you did you grow up like in your house speaking Hebrew as well as English? Uh, half speaking Hebrew. I just went. I went to yeshiva. I went to Jewish school for eight years, so I always had Hebrew around. But uh, English was my main language. Okay, that has always been. Even now, like even when I'm talking Hebrew, I'm, I'm thinking words in English in my head. So I, I might say a word in in English uh, while talking Hebrew. It, it's <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> so so yeah. Sorry. So useless ID. So I I got kicked out of that school. I moved to an art school. And, um, I, you know, there were, there were these punk kids, uh, like a grade above me. So I was, uh, kind of like intrigued with them right away. I'm like, I want to be their friends. I want to go like, do they have bands? And I just started going to a bunch of shows and, uh, useless ID was a band that I heard about that. Year. I didn't yeah. really, I heard about, you know, older guys. And one of them came from America, came from the U S and he saw Pennywise and, uh, you know, it was like. And you're like this 15 year old kid. And you're like, wow, I want to, I want to meet that guy. Who are those guys? <laughs> yeah. So I formed a band uh, called Rampage. It was uh, me and these other, other two kids. Like, well, one of them was uh, my my mom's best friend, her son. And uh, interestingly, interestingly enough, he was a friend of Ishai's, who would uh, go on to be Useless ID's guitar player. So it kind of like we were in the same circle of friends. Uh, so, so, so that that's how like I, I kind of like got in got in with those guys. And you you joined in 1997. Like how I think you and I are about the same age. I just turned 41. How old are you? Oh, I'm a year younger than you. Then okay, so you were in 1997. I graduated. So when you joined the band, you were still in high school, correct? Yeah they they had another bass player, uh, which which uh, actually he was the original guitar player, and then. Uh, uh, and then they got this, uh, and then they got the bass player from Rampage to play uh, in Useless ID. He was there for like a half a year, and uh, and I was kind of bummed that he took the spot. But I, you know, I was in like eleventh grade still, so I was just like, ah, I, I want to be in that band and you know 
get the hell out of Israel and tour. So once he was out, I was asked to join in, and I didn't really play bass. I, I just, you know, I was a guitar player. Yeah. So I, I bought a bass. I practiced the songs for a week. I rehearsed with them, uh, did two shows with them. Uh, this, like, one uh, kind of, like, a end of the summer festival we 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 played before all the like you know all the bigger bands <laughs> so we got like less volume in the in the mix <laughs> yeah. you, you know you know when sound guys do that yeah they always turn up the headliner yeah. to make them more powerful right exactly so we had what, what i had one of those experiences and uh by the end of the of that summer that was like 1996 yeah six so useless id were like hey we're we're going to America. We're going to try our luck over there. So it's a one-way ticket. So so they went with the original guitar player. He rejoined as a bass player. And that that, that was the band for that, for that run. So take me through the steps of kind of like, I mean, they went to America. You're still in Israel at the time. How do you join back up with them? And how does the band come to, you know, record that split with my old band and, and the whole Kung Fu thing? Like, it just seems like, being in Israel, being in a band there, that's such a far cry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, uh, when, when they got to the, to the U S I'm sure uh, one of those guys could tell a better story about that. Cause they were there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I just know it from being in Israel and just, uh, being, uh, pen pals with each, I just like, you know, sending each other letters and stuff and him sending me records in the mail or whatever. But, uh, you know, they were trying to put, put the name out. So they were living in the, in the Bay area and going to shows at Gilman playing shows at Gilman meeting up with like, you know, lifetime and good riddance and, and all these bands. I think, I think they even met fat Mike at one of these shows at one of the shows over there. And, uh, I was just in Israel. I was forming other bands and, you know, short lived bands. I, I just, I just needed an outlet. So, uh, so yeah, so I had all these bands, throughout that year and then when they got back so that uh, guitar player that became the bass player he was over it he was like i'm, I'm done I'm, I'm like going on my own thing and and they were like all right we want to record an album well what's your plan and i'm like i guess i'm joining back <laughs> so it was, it was funny yeah it was weird i i, I kind of like joined them for like a, a summer and then a year goes by and then by the next summer i was in the band again uh, that's and you know. they're back in israel at this point right the whole band yeah. came back yeah, the whole band came back after like eight months or something. I think some of them wanted to stay, some of them got homesick, and then uh, so the the band collectively decided to move back to Israel. And then we'd have this thing where we would uh, work work for like a year to go on a three month tour. So we did that a few times. And uh, by the first time, the first time I I flew to the states with Useless ID, that that was when we we met uh, the Ataris also by accident. <laughs> Could you tell me that story where you got like, yeah, 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 how did sure. it work out? Well, we were all fans of, uh, anywhere, but here, yeah, anywhere, but here, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting confused with anywhere, but home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's anywhere, but here on the, it's funny, the town that I live in currently, like I've moved away and then since moved back after having kids, but the town that I live in is on that map on the cover of that record. <laughs> oh shit. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not that cool. <laughs> I mean, it's cool that it's on the record. I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we we played two shows. Like it, it was even before we hit the road. We were just in uh, in 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 San Francisco. Yeah, we I I think we were staying in Telegraph at at the time. We we were in the Bay Area, 
And uh, we just played a bunch of local shows before we like complete, like finally hit the road. And that was like a, a month, like the first month. So we had two shows. One of them was at this uh, old, this place called Old Ironsides uh, with with uh, Teen Idols. And you you remember that band, Teen Idols? Oh yeah, yeah, from I remember. Uh, yeah, yeah, we played. They were from. Were they from Tennessee or like some of the guys were from Tennessee? Like Philip, I, I think, think so. Yeah, 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 Philip. And uh, Heather, right? Yeah, Heather, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we played a show with them, and then we were like, let's try to make it to another show. We had, there was another show at the, I think it was the Coca Dree. Is that, is that a, um, um, sounds familiar. Yeah. It's old school. Coca Dree, Crocodile, (laughs) Coca Dree, one of the, one of those. And we get there, and uh, we heard that the Ataris are on the show, and we're like, fuck, we're going to see the Ataris. How, How cool is that? We get there and we see the Atari crossed out and like the next band is like re- ready to go on. And and uh, I meet this guy outside and I'm like, holy shit, did we miss the Atari? We're useless ID. We're, we're like playing this bill. But uh, and, and he's like, uh, yeah, you missed the Atari's and I am the Atari's. Nice to meet you, Chris. <laughs> yeah. so, so that was my sounds first... like something Chris would say. Yeah, yeah. yeah not, not in a bad way. He's like. Nice to meet you. I'm Chris. And then, you know, out walks uh, Mike Davenport. Yeah. He's like, oh, hey, guys, how's it going? You want some T-shirts? You want some, you know, CDs? You want to trade CDs? <laughs> so we, we give them, uh, I think we had a, like a cassette of our CD. We didn't even press the CDs yet. We, have, we had a, uh, a dub cassette copy of our first uh, album that we recorded in Israel. Yeah. So we gave that to Chris Rowe. And, and he was like, we, we got to leave now. I'm sorry, guys. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be in touch, you know. Then he actually stayed true to his word. Wow. Uh, unlike many, 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 many other bands I've met along the way, we'll stay in touch. You know, we had that one encounter uh, that same year with Jimmy World, but I'll, I'll tell you about that like later on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So then Chris got back a hold of you and, like, I mean, on the internet, when I was, you know, looking through stuff about the band and about the history of the band, yeah. it just said that Chris invited you guys to do the split. But I mean, I bet there was a lot more to it than that, correct? Yeah, uh, Chris really loved our first album, uh, Dead's Not Punk. He he was like so stoked on it. And he was like, uh, and by that time they were they were they were getting up there. You know, it was uh, right before Blue Skies came out. Yeah, yeah. So there was there, you could feel that there was some hype around the Atari already. Like everyone was talking about them. They were doing Fat Records tours, and uh, you know there was there was there was just a hype. So he's like, I'm gonna talk to Joe from the Vandals and about putting out a, a split of, of both our bands so so yeah we, we started uh, working towards that we were like fuck yeah and you guys were back in israel at this point were you like freaking out that a band that you liked from the states wanted to do a split with you on a, like an actual decent sized label uh I, I i wouldn't i wouldn't say freaking out but we were pretty damn stoked yeah because uh you know when, when you're doing something when you're out there doing something you always want to feel that uh, there's progress happening. You don't want to yeah. feel like, you know, you're you're fucking out there uh, day after day, just playing shows, playing shows, playing shows, and nothing is happening. Because because I've experienced that part of of the music industry as well, you know, and I I know what that feels. So to be to be in a band where you know the age range is from like eighteen to twenty three. And then uh, you're like, hey, we're going to do a split on Kung Fu Records and it's going to boost your musical career. So, yeah, yeah, we were stoked. So so Let It Burn, that split with the Ataris came out in 2000 on Kung Fu. Now, 
that's probably what led you guys to sign with Kung Fu, correct? Yeah. Uh, Joe, Joe really liked those songs and he, he really liked that, uh, that split, but I, I wasn't the singer in the band yet. Guy, the guitar player, he was, uh, handling the vocal duties. I was, I was just the bass player. Every once in a while I would bring in a, like a pop punk song and, and they'd say, Oh cool. That could be your song on the, on the album. And I was perfectly fine with it. You know, I didn't have like any aspirations to be the lead singer. Like, you know, I used to be the lead singer in my other band. So I, I didn't really feel a need to, to like, uh, be the guy in useless idea. I was just like, I'm fine playing bass. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, so after Chris uh, told us that he wants to do a, uh, a split, uh, we, we we got back to Israel and we recorded another set of songs and we released it as uh, "Get in the Pita Bread Pit." <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah. yeah, get get in the Pita Bread Pit. That's pretty good. That was in '99 before that split came out, right? Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I I think I'm kind of like crossing the years at the moment. I I because the songs of "Get in the Pita Bread Pit" those are the songs that eventually went on the split, even oh, okay. though because because we, we were late in in sending a new recording. We we had like another set of like six songs, so we just went with those songs. So uh, this is this Chris Rowe. I think he got back to us like a few months later. He did, he like on that first trip I mentioned, it, it it didn't go that fast. It went like you know half a year later. I think he got back to us. So and when you guys are recording in Israel and you're you know saying sending like your songs back to you know the states to to do this split. There's no real fast internet back then. Are you sending like master tapes? Are you sending a CDR? How are you guys sending it back to Kung Fu? I think it was master tapes. I, I wasn't I wasn't even dealing with that that part of the band yeah. back then. You know, it was uh, mostly Ishai and Guy. They were just just running it. So I'm get I'm guessing they took care of that. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's I don't think it was a CDR. CDRs were like in 2001. Yeah. So yeah, I'm guessing they sent them sending the master tapes of uh, getting the pita. So when you got you guys signed with Kung Fu, you know shortly thereafter, and uh, then your first record on Kung Fu, Bad Story, Happy Ending. Chris Rowe actually produced that. How was it working in the studio with Chris? I, as someone that's been in the studio with Chris, it can be trying at times. <laughs> yeah, well, we all looked up to him, and if you listen to that record, I kind of sing like Chris. <laughs> yeah okay yeah I, I, I'm, I'm trying to sing like chris because uh i i don't know i i guess it's just that uh that way of absorbing when you're when you're searching for your voice so yeah, yeah. It, for me and and like you know when i just got started i tried to sing like kurt cobain and then green day came out so i was trying to channel that and then no effects and then so you're just you're just like bouncing all over the place so when chris Rowe uh, came along and that uh, and the whole atari's thing and we were buddies so I, I kind of looked up to him in a way and he had just produced uh, antifreeze before us. So, and that sounded great to me. Like, you know, they got really good tones and I'm like, so yeah, we, we were stoked. We were all for it. And so working with him in the studio, I think there's uh you know, there's, there's two ways of approaching uh production now that I'm producing as well. There's the, highly involved producer that's uh, you know just like uh, very meticulous on whatever you want what what exactly what he want out of you and i have a feeling chris was more of like a team player he would be with us and every time we'd have a dilemma chris would be the final word he would say no just do this because 
I've had a bunch of battles with our drummer on that record because uh, he couldn't pull that uh, no effects beat. The do that, do that, do that, do that, do that, do that. Yeah. So, so Chris found the solution. Chris was like, "Yeah, just do Lifetime." Like, and that solved the, the issue. You know, I I didn't think about that. I was like, "Yeah, the fast songs need to be like Flag Wagon," you know. <laughs> Yeah, because you've really got two choices when you're yeah. talking about it. You've got like the normal punk beat, kind of fat records beat, and then you've got that syncopated East Coast kind of beat, right? Exactly. So we were kind of in the middle, <laughs> since we're not from, from either place, you know? Yeah, yeah. You're drawing yeah. influences from both, I guess, right? Yeah, and uh, with the vocals, Chris helped a lot. There was this one song that it, it's called Note, and like the, the vocal melody was just repetitive all the time. It's like... So Chris wrote changed it he said all right that's the first line next line change it up to that and third line so it, it was a learning experience for me so and in, in that record did you guys stay kind of in the states like around the release of that and start touring or did you guys after you got done because you recorded in the states correct yeah we recorded at or- orange whip studios and then you guys went back to israel or did you stick around yeah then we went back but uh, shortly after that, we had uh, a European tour with the uh, with the Ataris, I think. Uh, no, no, wait. I'm kind of. <laughs> I think before that, before that, we had we had a European tour with the Ataris. After that, uh, yeah, after that, we went back to Israel. Pretty much uh, till the release. So was I, I? Just wondered, you know, with Kung Fu, did they have like territory to release in Israel, or are you telling all your friends like we got signed to this label in the states? It's coming out in the states. Was it actually released in your home country as well? I I don't think distribution was that good back then for for you know indie indie albums and punk rock albums. And so it, it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was released in Israel. You know, it was like. The album came out, it was released in the US, it was released in, in Japan, Australia, like, you know, they did the rounds, but Israel, yeah, we were the ones selling it at shows in Israel, you know what I mean? I just always wonder, like, you know, when you first get signed, you're fairly young, you're like, what parents think, you know what I mean? Like, like, did your parents grasp what you what you were doing by going to the States and, like, getting signed? Well, actually, they... They were kind of used to it already because I've been on like on the road a few years. Like already, I've been on the road for a few years, and you know they realized that the band was my main thing, yeah. and we're just working our asses off to to make it happen and to make it, uh, you know, to, to to be on the road and get our spread spread our message. So so they were they were they were actually pretty supportive by by that point. So we've been talking about, you know, Chris producing the first record. The second record in 2003, No Vacation from the World, you had mentioned that uh, it was co-produced by Tony Sly and Angus Cook. What was Tony's kind of, his style, the way that he produced? Well, with Tony, it was different because we were on the 2002 Warp Tour. And uh, when we started that, like before we started the tour, uh, Joe Escalade said, this is going to be the best summer of your lives. and you know, in retrospect, it was one of the craziest summers of my life, but I, I didn't know what I was expecting. But what 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 I did know is when the Warp Tour started, we already had a set of like 20 new songs, and we knew that by the end of that, we, we want to record them. So it was either either going with like, you know, Ryan Green and getting that uh, perfect fat record sound yeah. and hope, you know what I mean? 
and hopefully get on the on the fat wagon eventually. <laughs> yeah, because at this point you guys were on Kung Fu. Did you did you want to? I know eventually you got to Fat, but even back in this time, were you guys like thinking, man, it would be great to be on Fat Records? Yeah, from the get go, from the get go, from the second useless ID started, the goal was to be a Fat Records band. Like you know, so I'm talking to you, like 1996. Wow. Like well, we, the band started in like late '94, but I'd say that 1996 the band really started touring, and you know, the first thing was like give Fat Mike a demo cassette. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yes, yeah, so back to the work with Tony. So so Ishai and I, we were just like walking around, they were, and we were like thinking who who could produce our record because we heard that uh, Mike from MXPX produces, we heard that guy produces, and uh, I've I've had a few words with Mike Herrera at, at at that warp tour, and he was cool, but I I didn't feel too comfortable asking him to produce us, you know, and yeah. and once uh, Ishai told me that uh, Tony Sly produces, I don't know what happened. I just like didn't didn't have like this. Uh, this block about it. I just spoke to him. Hey, Tony, uh, would you would you be into producing our next record? Because he was familiar with us through through Joe Escalante, and Joe had mentioned that he liked us. Like he he told us that to- Tony Sly liked Bad Story, so <laughs> why not, right? <laughs> so when you guys were in the studio, was he in the studio with you? Because like on on the internet, it just said additional production by Tony. Was no, he- so. So I'll tell you what happened. So okay. once 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 he said uh, that he's down to produce, so he just said he just told me, you know what, come to my bus tomorrow at what uh, like two p.m. You know, and and we'll work for a half hour, and then it became a thing. You know, we, we would work uh, like uh, throughout the week, like maybe two or three times. I'd show him a song, and he'd like he'd take it apart and show me new chords and show me new p- chord positions, and I'm like, and, you know, and that that to me. That to me was like a like a one oh one like a quick uh one oh one in in production class let's say and and in retrospect learning from one of the best you know tony's oh yeah one of one of my favorite songwriters really i mean we we talk about tony on this on this podcast all the time. I just had Joey yeah. Cape on from Lagwagon and yeah, yeah, I heard that one we we talked about Tony a lot, and I'm actually trying to put together this idea for like a Tony tribute episode. I'm gonna try to get a lot of people to like you know tell yeah, you tell stories and whatever, but he's definitely one of my favorites, so when I saw that you'd worked with him, I just man i I met him a few times and he was just the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, he's the nicest guy in the world, very humble. He could be, a, a, you know, a, I wouldn't say introvert, but he could be a bit quiet at times. Yeah. That's what I kind of noticed. But it's not like anything towards anyone. It's just like that. that's the way that's the way he was. But then he would, he would say something and it would be so hilarious and so like off, like, you know, <laughs> off the grid. As, as as far as like you know humor goes it was like really <laughs> but uh yeah the first thing he told me he he took out a cassette player and like a a recorder and he said buy one of these tomorrow at walmart and make it your best friend and uh that's what i did and that's what i've been doing ever since like so many years later now i use the voice memos yeah it's just easy you have an idea you just blah 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 into your phone Technology makes it a little bit easier, but yeah, man, I remember back in the day. Uh, did you ever have one of those like Tascam cassette four tracks? Yeah, I had that too. Those things are amazing, man. I've still got a bunch of old demos that I did like yeah, twenty five yeah. years ago. And you play it on on the regular tape, and it's like. Rrr, rrr, rrr. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I like talking about this production stuff. I'm, I'm very interested in it because after that, the kind of 
till up to present day, you've done most of the stuff with Bill Stevenson over at the Blasting Room. Yeah, that were, was a Were you a fan of The Descendants opener. before that? Dude, who wasn't a fan of The Descendants? I, I know, that? man. That's an, <laughs> that's another band that like always comes up on this show. Like I, I got to yeah. go down last year and do a podcast in person with Stefan. And man, it was just, he's the best guy. Bill's the best guy. Milo, Carl, yeah. all those guys are amazing. So working with Bill in the studio, I had to, I just had to ask you about that. I'm sure it was great. Yeah, we've worked with Bill already four times in the studio, and it's always such a wonderful experience. You know, they uh, from 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 the first time, you know, he came to grab us from the airport. Uh, oh, actually, Bug, uh, uh, they had this uh, merch guy, Rody. He came to grab us from the airport, but you know that whole like uh, setting it up, and then you know they bring us to bring you to the studio, and you have all these like beds, and and it's, it's just like a uh, a home uh, home feeling. Yeah, and he, yeah. Bill, Bill makes you feel at home right away. That that's uh, so that to me in itself was was different than the other experience I've had. Whereas, like you know, you're not sleeping in the studio and you're not living these uh, living these songs twenty four seven. You know, because it would reach a point where I would be writing guitar licks at like two a.m. So that when Jason Livermore comes in at ten, we have what to record. And you know, I'm still like getting out of bed and like you know, so it's like. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it, it's a trip, and I love all, you know, All Rise Revenge is one of my fav- favorite albums ever. I love many of the, the productions Bill has done, you know, even back to, like, Chemical People. Like, he always, or Big Drill Car, he always gets that, like, signature sound where, like, uh, you know, the bass and drums are going, and there's, like, a crazy bass bass uh, lick, like, do 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 and then the guitar goes for a solo, and it kind of sounds like everything's empty for a second, but it's not. It's, yeah. like, just in your face. So, so what was yeah. his style like as far as like in, you know, pertaining to your songs? Like, was he pretty hands-on with the way the songs were put together, arrangements and whatnot? Well, if I'd have to say about anyone that turned me into a singer, because uh, it, it's it's always been weird for me to hear, uh, you know, compliments uh, that I'm, I'm such a, that you're such a great singer and, they, you know, I, I, well, thank you. Uh, I, sometimes I don't feel that great. But yeah. if, if anyone did make me great, it's Bill. Because from the get-go, we were demoing, uh, we were demoing at, at the Blasting Room like the first few days and on the first record we did with them. And he was listening to my voice, and I, I heard him say to one of the guys, his singing is a bit passive. We, we need to change the, the register. And I'm like, what, what, passive? What, what is he talking about? And my guys are shouting back, no, no, he says you're a good singer. Don't don't worry about it. <laughs> and then and then I met Bill, and then I I sat with Bill on the side, and he's like, "You you got a great voice and you got great pitch, but you're not singing hard enough. I want you to sing higher and harder." And he changed like six of our songs, like the register. He like took a song from A and put it in C, and took a song from A, put it in B, and like G to A. So that that to me was like uh, Bill helped helped me find my singing voice wow so i could credit that to him that's also i mean that's probably yeah. why you guys have gone back to him so many times correct yeah now it's just like it's like a no-brainer it's just family you know uh i i always try to think what a useless id record would sound like at other studios because you know it's it's okay to think that but then like when we get down to deciding we're like yeah we're, we're going to bill and jason because yeah. <laughs> uh it's it's not only about the record you'll get at the end of the day. It's about the whole learning experience. You know, many times 
uh, that I've done a record that we've done a record with Bill and Jason, I, I get out of there so inspired that I just start writing another record. <laughs> Did you happen yeah. to make it out for the 25th anniversary show this uh, past weekend? No, uh, uh, we, we were supposed to go. Uh, Bill had talked to us about it, but there were so many bands that he wanted to have on that. And it was kind of like, you know, so many people spoke to so many bands that at the end of the day, uh, it, it was like, all right, next next celebration, you guys are on it. I promise you. And, and you know, twenty five years from now, <laughs> you know, well, <laughs> I'm hoping it'll be five years from now. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. <laughs> I think a thirty year. Well, it looked like the celebration went down very good, and everyone was happy and and all smiles. So, oh yeah, yeah they, they they should do one in five years. <laughs> Hopefully not twenty five. Uh, yeah, yeah, you and I will be with both be really old then, man. <laughs> We're gonna be old. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to to ask you, you know. That album, that first album, was the first album you did with Bill Redemption in 2005? Yeah. And then after that, you guys, you know, you put out uh, Lost Broken Bones that you did with Bill, and that was on Suburban Home. Why did you guys make the switch from Kung Fu to Suburban Home? Well, our uh, contract was up pretty much. You know, Kung Fu wanted uh, three records, uh, and and we gave it to them. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, I, I would call it three and a half because we, we had the... Let it burn the split. So, it, you know, the, the the agreement was done and uh, we ended it on good terms. You know, I still speak to Joe here and there. I see him like sometimes in festivals or whatever. We just hang out at, like once in a few years. So we were just looking for another label and uh, sorry. And we sent it to Fat Records and uh, it was like, uh, I think... If, if I remember correct, Mike liked it, but the the office was like okay with it. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> so, I know a lot. I know the litmus test over there a lot of the times, you know, are the people that work in the office and even like Vanessa and, and different people that work for Fat. They kind of yeah. like Mike signs off, but everybody has to kind of dig it, right? They have to dig it because they're going to be the ones working it. You yeah, know? yeah, I, yeah. And I, I totally, I totally understand that because you know you don't you don't you don't want to an album sitting in foul records where someone in the office likes it and you got like five people that are like, okay with it. You want them to be excited. You want them to be, Oh yeah, we're going to push the hell out of this release. <laughs> but it, but interestingly enough, um, that record came out on, on, on foul records a few years ago, lost broken bones. Oh yeah. really? <laughs> they, they, they re-released it. Like once that whole thing with suburban home was done. So, you know, we were like, we got this other record. You want to put it out? <laughs> <laughs> so let's go up. You know, let's fast forward a little bit. You're working with Suburban Home. And then, you know, in 2011, you guys signed to Fat. How did that come about? Well, it, it was like this thing where, you know, our well, Mike got our first demo. And then Mike got uh, the demos for Bad Story, Happy Ending. But we were already going with Joe. So he was like, yeah, you guys said yes to Joe but I like these demos. So we always had that kind of like back and forth with, with Mike. And then I think ever since I, we worked with Tony, this like uh, no use for a name comparison was instilled in the band. Yeah. Cause you know, hence the name useless ID, no use for a name. It's, kinda, <laughs> yeah. it's very similar. So we, every, every once in a while we meet, meet up with Mike, whether it was a festival or whether it was, it was like a me first and gimme gimme's tour. And he was like, you guys need an angle. You can't, continue sounding like no use for a name so either change your name <laughs> or change your style so so we we were like all right so if we go 
if we go like political at some point, because we we were singing in pretty much whatever I was writing, and I was writing about my personal life and yeah. my relationships, which is not a bad thing. I but it's been done overdone so much by this point, you know, in in like pop punk or you know. Hey, Chris Rowe, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I did that too. And uh, so Mike was like, you guys need an angle. And then when uh, around the time Symptoms, uh, we were going to record Symptoms, I think a month before the recordings, I had like only eight songs I was happy with. So I, And I was in such a toxic relationship. So I just let that thing, you know, shine. So I was like, I just kept, I don't know, I'm going to write about this. I'm going to. And by about this thing we're doing, you're doing to me. So it became another one of these, like you know, relationship albums. But we sent it to Mike, and he's like, "All right, I'll put it out. I like it." <laughs> awesome. And I'm like, "Really? This album?" <laughs> but because uh, it's our slowest album, yeah. And it's it's uh, I I really like the album, but you know, it's not. We we play like one or two songs off of that album live. Like we can't match the energy. We we play we put into a live show with those songs. So you guys, the the last record that you guys released was in 2016. State is burning. That's on Fat as well, right? Yeah. Are are you guys like currently in a contract with them, or is it the handshake deal that I always hear about? Yeah, it's it's that. Like you know, uh, you record an album. Yeah, you, uh, you you send it to Mike. You send it to Fat Records. If they dig, they put it out. That's pretty cool, man. So, yeah. um, I mean, I, hey, I, w- I wouldn't mind being in a three album contract deal with Fat or even a five album. Yeah. To me, they're just the best label out there and it's family. You know, so many great bands on this label, so many bands that inspired us throughout our careers and inspired me and people that I, I just don't, you know. I've I've had so many people from different bands, from like you know the OG bands to you know yeah. the new school bands on Fat, and everybody says that it's like such a family, you know, like it's it just, is, it is. I can't think of any other label that it's special like that, you know. Well, I mean, the label meant a lot to me growing up. I remember when I joined the Ataris. Like I wasn't like super stoked because like they had sold so many records or they'd been on MTV or anything. I was stoked that they put an EP out on Fat. <laughs> Exactly. Any anything that got released on Fat, uh, you get it. Well, no, and I, and it's funny because I've I've talked to a couple of people on the show, and I'm like, you know, I'm not technically, I've never been technically like on Fat, but a band I was in had an EP on Fat like 20 years ago, so I feel like I'm kind of, kind of part of the family. And you know what? That's my favorite Atari's release, and I I told that to Chris Rowe. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I love that. That 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 those five songs changed my life. <laughs> I just, I don't know, people, I talk to my wife all the time. My wife's a bit younger than me and I tell her about Fat Records and like I made her watch the documentary about Fat Records and and she's like, yeah, it's cool. I'm like, you don't understand. This is my childhood. This is my- It is, for many of us. It formed how I thought about stuff. Like I, you know, different political views and different things came from good riddance, came from propaganda. Like- Yeah, that that second propaganda record. Oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah. How, how, how do you, how do you even do something like that? You know? <laughs> so I always tell people on the podcast that are on fat or have something to do with fat. I'm like, I'm an honorary member of the family because I, <laughs> yeah. cause I love it so much. And, and I've had so many different bands from fat on the podcast. So that was one thing getting to talk to you. I, I was always a fan of useless ID, but in my mind, you guys were a fat band. And when I started researching and even pulling out my old CDs, I'm like, Oh, well they started on Kung Fu. And I guess I just omitted that from my memory. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, we, we, we became a fat band along the way. And, and you could say now that we are a fat band because we've been with them for several years now. And, you know, they just released uh, Seven Into It. We recorded. So, yeah. So I, I know you also do pretty much the stuff that I see, you know, on Instagram and whatnot. You do a lot of solo stuff. And uh, you have a record released on Hardline, Distant Lover, correct? Yeah. And that came out in 2012. What kind of got you going for the solo thing? Was that just you had some time and, and you write songs that maybe didn't fit the band? Well, I, I was overwriting, I think. I was just like, you know, so so pro like I, I would I would say, yeah, prolific is the right word. I was so prolific and I, I still am, but I'm I'm working on other things at the moment, so I don't have I don't have that much time for out you know, that outlet right now. But when I'm writing, I'm, I'm like writing a song a day. I, I just like go and go and go. And, you know, even if I don't come up with a song, I just come with a, up with a, something like, you know, a riff, even if it sucks or even even if it's a bad song. So I was like, I was writing all these songs that to me weren't really useless ID. And I kept like storing them on the side. And I'm like, I can't even bring this to be useless ID because it's like so dark and sad and, and uh, you know, and melancholy. So, so one of my buddies was over one day and I let him hear it and he goes, why don't you just do like a solo album? And I'm like, oh no, I can't do that. That's fucking scary. <laughs> and, but you know, the more I thought about it, it made sense. Yeah. I never did a solo album. So, so I, I, I did that album and, uh, but I, I don't think I, I got to be, uh, let's say like a singer songwriter, solo artist until I did California sounds, which was the next one. Okay. Yeah. And that, that's when I, I, you know, I hit the road and I was just like touring all over the, the place again and again and again. <laughs> how, how is the touring like solo? Is it just you or are you bringing like, someone to sell merch or like, how is it? Just me and a guitar. You and a guitar. Okay. And you're just in me like, and a guitar. Just Even a, if a normal, small, like compact car or do you still have a van? No, no van. I rented cars. I bought cars. Uh, I bought, I brought my girlfriend on, on a few tours. <laughs> Dude, it's it's one one crazy ride to do alone. This, uh, you know, my my first my first tour. This, this is this is like a funny funny karma story. If uh, I'll try to make it as quick as possible, but I was about to play my first solo show in the in the U.S. on, on the West Coast, and uh, a month before that, people were just giving me you know all these like weed, like uh like uh this like banana, all these flavors, and I I don't I don't smoke, yeah. so I was just like. I was just storing it in a box and I just kept the box in the back of my trunk and forgot about it. So the box was full like after a month because I was, you know, just meeting people and playing all these random shows. But once I hit the road to tour, I, I get to this, uh, you know, border control and there's a cop and a dog <laughs> and there's, there's a car behind me and a car in front of me. And I'm like, oh, shit, the box is in the back. Fuck. So, you know, I'm trying to keep my cool. I pull up next to the officer. Yeah, I open the window and I'm like, hello, officer. He's like, is anyone traveling with you? And I'm like, nope. And he looks in the back. He sees like my sleeping bag because I was sleeping in the car. Yeah. So he's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, you could go. And I literally pulled over to the side of the road and I'm like, oh my God. If he would catch, if the dog would bark, that was that would be the end of me. Really. Yeah. It's like, jeez, man. Yeah, I, I and, mean, and it I, sucks even worse because, like you just said, you don't smoke. 
Yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm not that guy. I just don't don't do that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the the most I'll do is have a glass of red wine like once a month. You you, know? s- you sound like me, man. I don't really I don't even like taking Tylenol. I can like feel my hair growing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So, uh, with all the acoustic solo touring, is has most of it been in the states? Have you done anything overseas? A lot in the states. I've been to Russia uh, many times till I got stopped in Russia. That's another story that I, I I tell a lot. I got stopped in Russia on a useless ID tour. They they stopped me at the airport and they threw me in like a cell for seventeen hours. Yeah, and then and then sent me out of the country. I got deported. Wow. Yeah, so, but so I I've been in Russia. I've been I've done a ton of Europe, uh, Japan. I didn't do solo, but Youth Society's been there like sixteen times. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, the the one of the biggest things with the solo tour is that every you know, I I always felt like something was happening, whether it was uh you know recording an album in the middle of a tour like that California Sounds record with. It was a bunch of songs I'd written for a future useless ID, but I was, it became my set. And then I just stepped into a studio and recorded it. And then, you know, and that leading into the one week records with Joey Cape and eventually leading to Fat Mike telling me to, you know, stop, stop touring all the freaking time and, you know, base yourself somewhere and let's make great things. So, <laughs> so that's where I'm at right now. I'm like not touring as much. Awesome, man. Well, hey, I've I've had you on the phone for quite a long time. I do have some listener questions, if you wouldn't mind answering them. Sure, yeah. Okay, so Matt from Krakow, Poland, he says, uh, how has working with other bands on their records affected how you think and how you write songs? Well, uh, working with a band on a record, uh, I always feel like I'm also learning something because it's like that with anyone you'll work with on a song you'll you know you'll uh notice the person and in front of you and uh maybe uh he or she has some other tricks that you are not familiar with up their sleeve you know yeah so so for me for the most part you know i'll give you an example when i was working with not on tour all of their songs are like super duper fast like and you know it's like one minute songs so that eventually led me to writing a few of those songs for Status Burning. And I'm like, you know, there's a song on there called Genetic. And I showed it to Ishai and I'm like, this song is so not on tour. And he's like, oh, yeah. But then we recorded it and it just sounds like like a great useless ID song. So, yeah. that, so I'm sure working with the Bob Pops is going to influence me to 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 bring uh, Jen and Polly to sing, <laughs> to sing with me now. Yeah, you know. Awesome. Well, I've got one more question. This is kind of a funny one. Michael from Oregon said he heard that you do a great Andre the Giant impression, and he wanted to know if you could do it for the listeners. I am the World War Wrestling Federation champion, Hulk Hogan. What you gonna do? (laughs) That's That's, that's that's, a little Hulk Hogan for you. That's pretty good, man. We got two for one on that. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Well, hey, man, I, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. What does the future hold, not only for Useless ID, but also you and your solo stuff? Uh, well, uh, uh, we just released a Tommy and June album. That's a new project I am involved in. And there's a song uh, we released called B273. It's about my grandfather being a Holocaust survivor. We're we're, uh, we're working on a lot of things at the moment. I can't really talk about, but they're very out of out of the box let's say okay <laughs> and uh yeah some very exciting things on the way 
Well, well I'll def- definitely have you back when you guys have some more news and some new releases coming out. For sure, for sure. So uh, what are the socials not only for you, but for the band and everything that you want to plug? Uh, so on Instagram, yo, Tom ben Hurin, that's me. Uh, and there's also Tommy and June, and there's Useless ID Punk. And uh, yeah, and uh, I have a hardcore band called Spit. Spit? So, yeah. <laughs> awesome, It's man. like, you know, that it's like DRI and SOD. Awesome, dude. Well, hey, yeah. I just want to say thanks again for coming on the show. And when you guys do have some stuff coming out, make sure you come back and talk to us, okay? Hell yeah. Thanks cool, for man. having me. Yeah, no problem. I will talk to you soon. Have a great night. You too. Bye. Bye. So there it was, my conversation with Yotam from Useless ID. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Can't wait to have him back in the future when maybe there's a new Useless ID record or a new solo record. So thanks a lot. Shout out to Yotam for coming on the show. I know he listens once in a while. And hopefully he's listening to this one because you got to check out how you sounded. So I always wonder that. Like the guests will be like, oh, I don't like to listen to myself. I'm like, well, I'm sure you check out your own episode. But uh, that's it for this week. Uh, there's only really one more thing that I'd really like to like to throw out since it is the final episode of 2019. Um, I listen to podcasts all the time. I, I Hopefully, if you guys are listening to this, I mean, it's cool if this is the only podcast you listen to, but I'm not crazy. I mean, you have to listen to other podcasts. I listen to podcasts religiously. I mean, I barely listen to music when I'm driving anymore. Sometimes I do. But most of the time, I have things downloaded, and I just I just listen to them. So in no particular order, I'd like to give shout-outs to my favorite podcasts. Uh, number one, my buddy Dewey over at the Peer Pleasure Podcast. They're on Jabberjaw as well. And uh, I love Peer Pleasure. I love Dewey's style, the way that he asks questions, and it's a complete conversation. Like I have some questions and I do a little research and I always want to be prepared. And Dewey said he kind of used to do that, but now he just goes in blindly. And, and that's really cool because he can get these, these stories out of people that maybe other people can't get. So check out Dewey help us over on the peer pleasure podcast. Uh, next, this was the scene. It's a wonderful show. It used to be about kind of like the 90s early 2000s New Jersey punk scene but they've since branched out Mike over there at this was the scene he talks to all kinds of great people so check out this was the scene personal favorite of mine some of you might not care but uh Clint and Ethan down in Nashville uh metal up your podcast it's an all Metallica based podcast I know they listen to every once in a while as well I don't know if they listen this far into the podcast but shout out to Clint and Ethan I love metal up your podcast if you guys want to laugh about some really funny stuff and listen to all kinds of cool stuff about Metallica check out metal up your podcast next was let me see turned out a punk Damian Abraham from fucked up over there at turned out a punk he has some of the best guests ever. And it's a wonderful podcast and it's sponsored by Vans. You know, if anybody out there is listening that works at Vans, hook me up. I want some shoes, man. But uh, so Damien, shout out to you, buddy. And I love your show. Turned out a punk. It's pretty cool. Next is the Josta show. I don't know if you guys out there ever listen to the Jamie Josta show, but it's pretty awesome. Sometimes it's a little bit geared more towards like the metal and hardcore side of things, but I lean that way, man. I, I like my metal. I like my hardcore. So I, I love Jamie Jossa. He's a cool guy. 
So he talks a little bit too much about CBD oil and stuff, but <laughs> it's still a great show. So check out the Jamie, jo- actually just the Josta show. That's what it's called. Next, Talk To Me podcast. Uh, that's a really cool podcast where they they kind of lean more into the metal, almost new metalish sometimes stuff. But they've had like Guar and uh, all kinds of cool stuff over there. So go check out the Talk To Me podcast, and that's Talk T O O M E Y, and uh, they're really cool. Check them out. Also, Lead Singer Syndrome. I mean, if you listen to this, you probably listen to Lead Singer Syndrome. We have kind of like the same sort of you know market i would think but shane told my buddy over uh, at lead singer syndrome he sings for silverstein and uh he's got a great show and if you listen to podcasts about independent music i'm sure you probably already listen to it but shout out to shane and everybody over at lead singer syndrome uh music crush monday is a really cool podcast where uh they kevin and steve i believe make sure yes they <laughs> just making sure they kind of have guests on that send them these songs blindly and they listen to the songs and then they have to like give their reactions about the songs and they don't really know who, what band did the song. And, uh, I did their 12 days of Christmas thing. It was really cool. And I'm going to go back on there at some point and do an actual episode of the show. So check out music crush Monday at music crush That's what it is. And then also you need some comedy in your life. I love Conan O'Brien needs a friend. It's on the Earwolf Network, uh, which is some of the best comedy shows are on the Earwolf Network. But Conan O'Brien, I've been a fan of his since the 90s, you know, when his show first came out on NBC. But the podcast is great if you want to hear Conan cuss, because Conan, he cusses quite a bit. And he's he's pretty funny. I mean, he's always funny, but on the podcast, he's really, really funny. So uh, go check out Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. He doesn't need my plug, believe me. But uh, it's it's funny, and I enjoy it, and I download it and listen to it every week. So Conan O'Brien needs a friend. Last but not least, Toby Morse with the One Life, One Chance podcast. He came out of nowhere, man, and his podcast has been blowing up. And I got to say, I love it. Talks to a lot of kind of the East Coast hardcore guys. He just had Michael Rappaport on there, the, the actor. who was It was such a good episode. He, he's had crazy guests, and it's really, really good. They hit the episode with Tim. Armstrong from Rancid is one of my favorites. I had Lars on the program, and to get Tim on is a bucket list. I know he did it for Toby because they're boys, and uh, Tim and I, I guess, aren't boys. But Tim, if you're listening, man, you got to come on the show. So those are my favorite podcasts right now. Those are my most listened to podcasts. There's many other podcasts, but those are the ones that take up the most time while I'm driving around town. But um. What podcast do you guys like? Hit me up and let me know. I'd like to know like what the crossover is. Like if you listen to this podcast, what are some of your other favorite podcasts? Let me know on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever. But I love you guys. I know this has been the longest intro and outro ever, but this 2019 is over. We're entering a new decade, 2020. They're going to refer this now refer to this now as the 20s kind of weird man to think that you know it's the 2020s that's crazy i it's i'm getting really old (laughs) but i love everybody out there thanks for the support hit me up on the socials at totot podcast if you want to become a sponsor of the program you can hit me up totot podcast at gmail.com if you would like to get involved on a financial level and support the show 
head on over to patreon.com forward slash TOTOT podcast and hook it up. Jump on the Patreon train. But that's it for today. I don't ever get out of here without playing music. And I'm going to play some music here in a second from Yo Tom and the Useless ID Boys. But first, I got to tell you, next week, next week on the program, it's a big one and it's a good one. I can't wait for you to check it out. Tim Barry from Avail is on the program. I cannot believe that Tim Barry from Avail, one of my all-time favorite bands, was like, sure, dude, let's talk for an hour. And it was a great one, man. We talk about so much stuff. I talk about like the urban legends that surround a veil. Like, did he do a solo tour where he rode the rails and jumped train cars? Like, we talk about all kinds of stuff. It's a great episode. It's going to be the first episode of 2020. And I could not think of a better guest than Tim Barry from a veil. And if you're not familiar, I don't know why the fuck you listen to this show because a veil is awesome so go on out and educate yourself they're on all the streaming platforms check out some avail so when you come back next week you'll be like oh yeah i love this man as much as chris and chris is fanboying out and i would be too i mean that's the running theme on this show is that i'm a fanboy and some people make fun of me but i think a lot of you out there understand that if you were talking to people that kind of molded your life you would be a fanboy as well so i love you guys thanks for the support leave us a review, subscribe, do all that great stuff and help the show out. I'm going to get out of here. But like I said, I'm going to play some music. This is an awesome song by Useless ID. It is one of my favorites by the band. It is called Isolate Me. So happy new year, everybody. Enjoy New Year's Eve. Don't get too drunk. Don't drive. Just chill. Watch the ball drop with your loved ones. And I'll see you next week in 2020. Here it is, Useless ID with Isolate Me. Chris out. No more medicine. I'll be leaving now. Give me anything. I won't make a sound.
This is Alice Lenny. And I see you. That's what time I turn. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.